Right. Hi, guys. Welcome to Touch by Prayer. I am so excited. This is going to be a fantastic show because, you know, when we had opposition, we know that it's going to be good because Papa is doing something good. This is such an honor. First of all, today on Touch by Prayer, today is the day that six years ago I started Touch by Prayer. And so for six years, God has been bringing me incredible people, incredible authors. But today, today, I have a general in the house. I have Bishop Bill Hammond. It is such an honor and such a privilege to talk about his newest book, which is called Your Highest Calling. This should be absolute mandatory reading for anybody who is thinking about leadership. The insight, the, under, the, the greater understanding is just so phenomenal. I, I truly, truly recommend this book because it is just, it is mind blowing because as you start to see things, you get a bigger picture of who we are in Christ and what we're supposed to be doing. And sometimes we get ourselves so wrapped up in stuff that we just don't understand that God is looking to perfect us into the image of his son. And that's his greatest purpose for us. So without any further ado, um, uh, delay, sorry. I just want to um, introduce you to um, Dr. Bishop Bill Hammond. I am just so excited. He is a, uh, a general here in uh, God's army. Let me just make sure I can do this here. And here you are. And so thank you, um, Bishop Hammond, for coming on Touch by Prayer. It's such an honor and a privilege to have you here. Well, it's a joy and pleasure to be here uh, because, you know, in my 66 years of ministry, I've gone through a lot of processes and didn't understand what was going on at the time. And you went through a heartbreaking, mind-blowing, world-shaking situation. You don't know whether God has forsaken you, whether you failed or made a mistake or what, but then as the years went by, God began to teach me the process of conformity and the law of transformation and began to show you my highest calling wasn't be the greatest, the most of anything. Cause my original goal when I came out of Bible college was I wanted to be Oral Roberts and T.L. Osborne and Billy Graham all rolled up in Bill Hammond <laughs> and be the man of the hour with all the power. But it's good to have ambition even though God has to take that spirit out of you and give you the desire to be like Christ and be fulfilling him. So that's where God began to teach me from an early age and started to take me through that. And I, my first experience of learning that God's not just interested in making me happy and fulfilled and successful and popular, but he, he gives that to me, but he's more interested in making me like his son, Christ Jesus. And that's when he gave the revelation of Romans 8, 28, 29. And I, as you, if, as you read the book, you discovered that Paul was the author of Romans 8, 28, 29. And Paul went through more suffering than any of us have ever gone through or probably will ever go through. He was beaten with 39 stripes five different times, 195 stripes. Imagine if you saw Paul in a bathing suit, he'd be one solid welts and scars from his neck to his heels, you know. And then he was beaten with rods five times. Whippings, he said, innumerable. And just about the time his ministry got going good, he got thrown in jail. And, you know, then all these false prophets would come in and false ministers take over his ministry and confuse the people. And he'd have to write like he did to the Corinthians, says these pseudo apostles, they try to tell you how great they are. And they're nothing really compared to me, but I'm not going to brag on, but I'll tell you what I've gone through. And we'd never known what Paul had gone through. It hadn't been for those characters provoked him into having to compare himself with them. And so, but then we find all that he went through, the shipwreck and, and all of that. 
and all the things that are with people and it was stoned with uh, rocks, not like young people get stoned, you know, but I mean with rocks thrown at him and, and killed him and he resurrected, you know, all of that. But yet he was the one that said, we know that all things work together for good. Now the good is Christ-like to those who love God and called according to his purpose. So I try to encourage people, if you love God and you're called according to his purpose, then all things have to be working together for your good. And, and, and the good is what he says in verse 29, for whom he did foreknow, he also did the predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that Jesus might be the firstborn among many just like himself. So, you know, so I say, if, if you're really called of God, if really you love God, you're called for his purpose, then what has to be happening? All things have to be working together to conform you to the likeness of Christ Jesus. And then I give a lot of illustrations in there. Now imagine as you read the book, you discovered, came to your mind some things you've gone through. That, yeah, okay, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, yeah, I thought that was against me. I thought they'd deceived me. I thought they'd misused me and abused me. I thought this is all, but God was using it all along. I was in the hand of God and not the hand of man. And God was perfecting that which concerned me. So now, Lord, I can rejoice evermore and thank you for all that I've gone through. Did you did you discover that in the book some? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, one of the things that I really got out of the book was the, the thing that I loved is that, you know, that they're working for me. <laughs> that yes. My opposition is yeah. working for me. It was like, I got to pay people now. In <laughs> fact, um, <laughs> Bishop Hammond, this morning, I needed to pay my boss just to <laughs> let you know that today was going to be a good day because it started first thing this morning because, yeah. I, you know, there's something that God wanted to do and, you know, the opposition comes and I'm like, shoot, I, I wish I had $20 on me because I go pay her because that's yeah. one of the things that you talked in yeah. the book is that you pay your enemies. You thank people yeah. and bless people for God perfecting the things in you yeah. that, that needed to be worked out. I think that was such a beautiful message. Yeah. It kind of shifts your head a little bit. Yeah, let me explain to those that haven't read the book yet. Uh, what the Lord showed me, I tell people, I don't have an enemy in the world. I just have friends and employees. Then I explain what God describes as friends. And, and, the, and, and in James chapter one, in the King James, it says, count it all joy when you fall into different trials, temptations, and troubles. But in the Phillips letter to young churches, I got a copy of that way back in the early 50s, 1950s, and read it and memorized it. It says, my brethren and all your sisters too, when all kinds of trials and temptations crowd into your life, don't resent them as intruders, welcome them as friends. So you got more friends than you thought you had. You know? And so it says, our trials and tests and troubles were to welcome as friends. But it says, realize they come to test your faith. And it goes on next two or three verses and basically says, they all work to conform you to the likeness of Christ. And so then over in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, it says, these light afflictions work for us. And I was reading that one day and God said, look at that verse again. What do light afflictions do? I said, hmm, they work for me. He said, well, when people come up, so I tell people when somebody comes up and tries to give me a bad time, yak, 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 your old bald-headed prophet, I don't believe you, blah, 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 blah. I just take out some money and give it to them. And they say, what's that for? I said, well, I pay my employees well. 
Well, I'm not your employee. I said, oh, yes, you are. You've been working for me hard for this last hour. You've been giving me just all old Billy Heck. I said, you've been teaching Christ likeness to me. You've been teaching me self-control. If it hadn't been for that, it'd be power right in the antenna. <laughs> you know, I said, you've been teaching me patience, long suffering and mercy and forgiveness and love. I said, oh man, I'm telling you, I should probably give you a hundred dollars because you've been really producing Christ-like character and, and nature in me. And so you're working for me and you're, you're my employee. So I pay you well. And I usually use an example of a married couple when I do this in public teaching and I'll give them, I'll give the woman a, a $20 bill and I'll say, now when this, when you when he starts giving you a bad time, yak, 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 just give him that $20 bill. He'll say, what's that for? I says, oh, you're working for me. You're really helping me fulfill my passion to be like Jesus. And, uh, and then he'll usually take you the money, start to give it back to me. And I said, oh, no, no, keep the money because you'll be needing to give it to her next week. <laughs> and so I've discovered everything's my friend and, and employees. And even though that, like the Bible says, if God be for you, who mm -hmm. can be against you? And he said, then it says all things are for our sake. Then it says all things work together for our good. And so that's the reason Paul says, rejoice evermore in all things give thanks. The only way you can give thanks for all things is knowing it's working for you. Because if you feel it's against you, people are using you, abusing you, cheating you, lying against you. They're doing things. It's hurting you and it's breaking up friendships. It's hurting your reputation. And if you get to feel that, you sure can't rejoice for that. Mm. But if you realize the inward man, though the outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. And since I've turned 85, I try to look at the inward man more than the old outward man because he's perishing. Hair is falling out. Didn't know, you know. But the inward man is becoming Mr. Universe. You know, the outward man may be looking all falling apart, but I'm going to Mr. Universe on the inside, a Christ-like nature and character. So that's part of the many illustrations I use. You know, I, I like to tell people when I, I, he started this when I was 22 years old. I got married at 21 and I, Tell people when I got married, I inherited a mother-in-law, and and uh, I, and she was so different. She was I was she was 39 years old, and I was uh, 22, and she had been saved since she was seven. I got saved at 16, and she felt she had to mentor me and instruct me how to pastor and straighten me out and all the things I did and said. And then she'd try to tell the young people, you know, you you don't have to smoke. You're gonna go to hell if you smoke. They'd leave. Now she was driving them away and. She was just driving me to frustration. And uh, finally, I went to God fast. I fasted and prayed three days. Dangerous to pray hard for somebody. And I said, God, you got to change that woman. She's driving me berserk. Do you ever have another Christian that can actually irritate you? And, and I said, he said, well, he said, he said, I understand. I thought, no, you don't understand. You never had a mother-in-law. <laughs> but, uh, but he said, well, that. You want me to make her like you or you like her? I thought, well, oh, God, don't make me like her, but make her like me. Well, maybe like the Fonz, yeah. But uh, uh, he said, no, nah, that won't work. Well, let me tell you what will work. He said, let me give you a truth that will help you uh, with your family, with your wife, with your children, the rest of your life. Here's what I want you to do. So I'm ready with this great revelation. What do you want me to do? He said, give her the right to be herself. I said, but God, it's not a right self. She's doing bad things and she's hurting the church and she's driving me berserk. And she, How can I give her the right to be something that's not right? He said, 
it's just not right or wrong. It's just a difference of where you fun where you function and where she functions. And he said, I want you to give her the right to be herself. But but it's a dumb self. Well, give her the right to be her dumb self. <laughs> I tell husband and wife said, just give them the right to be themselves. You married them, you might as well give them the right to be themselves. And so I worked about three months at it, and I finally got where she didn't irritate me. I could give her the right to be herself, and I could we could function without being so upset. And she wasn't being as bad about running the young people off. But well, then, you, you I, I was just going to say that if one of the things when I first started to to really hear the uh, the voice of God. I was, you know, dealing with a, a husband who I couldn't understand why he knew, was doing certain things. And I was like, Lord, I, I was praying. I was like, Lord, you know, we, change him, change him. And the Lord yeah. said to me, he goes, oh, someone's going to change, but it's not going to be him. I'm going right. to change <laughs> you. So that doesn't bother you anymore. And that's right. exactly what he did. Because when we start to understand that the things that are irritating us, it's because there's something inside us that needs to be perfected. Because right. it, it, we should be, um, I, I'm trying to think who it was. Um, I want to say that it was Joyce Meyer. It's like you have to be like a duck and let the water just roll off of your back. It yeah. can't bother you. It can't steal your joy. It can't get you all upset that you just can, it's just is gonna fall off and it's not gonna affect you in, in any way. And that's exactly what I felt like your book was doing. It was really kind of going deeper yeah. and kind of showing the things about the perfecting ourselves, meaning myself and yourself and, and whoever, but it's an individual perfection. Yeah. We, we can't yeah. try to perfect everybody. Yeah. <laughs> that's it, God's it was, job. It, it was plucking out your chicken feathers and giving you duck feathers. <laughs> that's exactly so, what it was. <laughs> when, you're chi when you're a chicken, the rain falls, you get wet and you drown. And you, and you go, block, 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 and you drown. But if you got duck feather with that resonance on it, mm -hmm. when the, the harder it rains, the more he raises you up and you just quack, 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 and it rolls off like water off a duck's back. That's so right. I tell people, you got to trade your chicken feathers in for duck feathers and That's trade your word. steel hide in for an alligator hide. There and you go. <laughs> when you just darts, just bounce off of you. They don't penetrate to your soul. But anyhow, so then after three months, she was still doing the same thing. And I said, now, Lord, she's still doing the same thing. I changed, but she's still doing the same thing. So I said, what are you going to do about that? He said, I tell you what, you want to know the rest of the truth? Like Paul Harvey, you know, you want to know the rest of the truth? And I said, yes, yes, what is it? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to give her the right to not give you the right to be yourself. I said, God, that's not fair. He said, sure it is. It's all for you. It's all for you. <laughs> and so I worked at that, and I finally gave her the right not to give me the right to be myself. And you know what I found? It's helped me and my wife and my family, my children, my board of governors, the 5,000 ministers I'm a bishop over, and all the people I work with. Just everybody's a little different. And that's the reason we take all of our Bible college students through the, the uh, personality profiles of different people and their life languages and love languages, because you realize people are different. And some things are not right or wrong. They're just different the way I do it, and it irritates me. And when the Lord told me, he said, you know, I love her just like she is. I thought, how can you? Do you ever, you ever have a Christian? You wonder, how can God love them when they're so obnoxious, when they're so irritating to me? But he said, they're not irritating to me because I don't have your problem. I don't have my pride. I don't have my all this. That's the reason. It's, and my mother-in-law, I believe it, took a diamond to cut a diamond. And she thought we were both diamonds. And, you know, it, it's the sand in the oyster that makes the pearl.
the irritation. And so uh, all those illustrations I give in the book, you need to realize that God's for you. Who can be against you? And it drives the devil berserk when we don't give him glory by murmuring and complaining and poor me and blah, 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 blah. And we just start rejoicing. Praise God. It's all for me. And it just frustrates the devil because he can't get us discouraged and backslide, fall apart, get bitter and angry. And so, uh, you know, of all my 14 books, most of my books is on the restoration of the church, what God wants the church to be and do it, where we're at now. And that I usually have taught that all the time. But then I started having mentoring days where I bring people in around the country and I'd mentor them for one day. And I, my, my board of governors said I need to charge for it. So I charged them $1,500 for individuals and 2000 for a couple for 24 hours and taught them the truths. But I saw those truths transform their lives with such a blessing. I thought, well, maybe, maybe I need to get it more to more people and get it in the book. So we started writing the book. And uh, it is transforming lives and helping people, especially what's about to come upon the earth. And the days were in end days we're coming to. We better know how to live victorious. We got to know how to take persecution, how to take opposition. We got to learn how to put on the armor of God and then not be offended and not be discouraged and rejoice and praise God and press on. Because, you know, and, and all the rest of that. After studying for 66 years and preaching and mention, I've come to the conclusion of, that in you know in in uh, Revelation the first three chapters it talks about he that overcometh he that overcometh and I, I I believe the only one that's going to be in any ruin reigning class of any responsibility are going to have to be overcomers who have been conformed to the likeness of Christ he's Absolutely. never going to he's never going to take another chance of a Lucifer episode who was put in high position but pride entered him and he was you know I can understand him being deceived by his beauty. You know, and, and, and self uh, love, and there, but when he said he was full of wisdom, and wisdom is supposed to give you the common sense not to think you could overthrow God and take his place, but it did originate in him, and then he injected it into the human race by tempting Eve to eat of the fruit, and we've had the problems ever since. But it all worked together, even all of that was part of God's plan because he, man had to become mortal, man had to, uh, and that's the reason I think God couldn't make man in heaven, he had to be made on earth. Because he knew man was going to sin and he couldn't stay in heaven if he was sinning, but he could stay on earth and be redeemed and on and on. And so it, it's helped so much when you realize the process of conformity and then the law of transformation. And then the thumb, the, the four fingers of the thumb helps you understand how it works. Mm-hmm. And uh, I this helps a lot of people because it's kind of like the law of demonstrating the law of gravity and the law of aerodynamics. I fly around 2,000, 200,000 miles a year for the last five or 10 years. And I still go on a plane, still the best way to fly. I haven't got my transporting powers yet. <laughs> and, but, but you know, I get on that great big 777, you know, and it weighs tons and it's got luggage and people. It weighs tons and done. And there's a law of gravity says anything heavier than air has to come down mm-hmm. if it's going to fall. But there's a law of aerodynamics. They've tried to explain it to me, but I don't fully understand it. But something about thrust of the jets and the wings for lift. And that thrust and lift, it brings that plane up, stays up, and I go all the way to Korea, 15 hours, and it lands. And people ask me when I get off the plane, how was your flight? I said, it came up, 
stayed up and came down right and landed. Good flight. Good flight. Good flight. That's exactly <laughs> yeah, it. <laughs> but, but I say now, but here's the thing about him. The law of aerodynamics did not destroy the law of gravity. The law of gravity was not affected at all. It was still doing its job. It just superseded it. So what I tell people, if you make your four fingers all your natural life, physical, financial, social, marriage, family, everything, all your physical, all your, and then your thumb, make that your inner person, your inner person that God's perfected. And I said, these four are, will be subjected to anything to make the inner man, the thumb, overcomer and Christ-like. And I said, you need to understand how this works. And because if you make the four fingers your natural life, according to uh, Deuteronomy and the New Testament, that it's God's will if you be in health and prosper. It's God's will for the family. And open that in chapter 20, Deuteronomy 28, 1 through 14, which is the open heaven uh, area. It's God said, He wants to bless your children, bless your family, everything you touch will be blessed. He's blessed your head, not the tail, you're above and not beneath. You can't fail for succeeding. I mean, your children are blessed, your everything. Every, every, in fact, God commands a blessings on you. And, and so that is God's will. And New Testament, God demonstrates his will to heal, it's his will to deliver. But there is a, another will that a, supersedes that will. Doesn't destroy it, doesn't change it. And while you're going through a Job situation, God still will for you to be healthy, family be wonderful, all your possessions be preserved while you're losing it all. Mm. And God takes that process. And when, when and thank God it's not a long process. Job went two years, but it uh, wasn't a long process. And then he takes that to transform us and make us fall in love with Jesus more and want to be like him more and be more with the eternal than the natural. And, and the, like it says in Colossians, set your heart and mind and affections not on things of this earth, but heavenly things where Christ sits at the right hand of God. For you died when you come to Christ. And now you, your life is hid with Christ in God. And therefore in Christ is our life appears. And I thought, man, when Christ, who is our life, appears, they will also appear with him in glory. So if we're going to really appear with him in all of his glory, we've got to let him be our life and not mm. our own. And so that way, you see, even even you, even though it's a will of God for you to be healthy, the family be in harmony, everything go great, yet there's a higher will that supersedes that. And people couldn't understand. I've had so many tell me, how could it be the will of God when I went bankrupt, lost everything? How can it be the will of God that I suffered physically for a while? How can it be the will of God when it tore up my family? How could it be the will of God? I said, it can be a temporary will of God to supersede, to accomplish a higher purpose in eternity. You're not going to be worried about your children and family and, and your body and money in eternity, but you're going to be one with God. I said, the only thing you're going to stand before God with, not your money, not your ministry, not your gifts, not your church, not your family, but you're going to stand all by just yourself. And what you want is yourself conformed to the Christ life and the Christ likeness. And that's all that really counts. That's the counts the most. And now that's number one. Then we're going to do the works of Christ and fulfill our membership ministry. And that's very essential. But the highest calling, I tell people, though I'm a bishop over 5,000 churches around the world, written 14 books, prophesied to 50,000 people individually and trained over 500,000. But that's not my highest calling. My highest calling is to be conformed to the likeness and image of Jesus Christ. And if I keep that first, the rest will work out all right. 
Absolutely. And, you know, when we start to understand, you know, there's so many different scriptures, you know, oh, we go from glory to glory, but people don't understand what that means. <laughs> that yeah. means that it's going to be less of you and more of him. And if that means that there's going to be less, that means some stuff has to be cut off. And people right. don't want to talk about that. They want to talk about like the fun. Let's talk about fun, Jesus. I, I agree. Jesus is fun and, yeah. and hanging out with the Holy Spirit and being led by the Holy Spirit is fun. But there's also something that needs to be done because as we get transformed into the image of Christ, as we start to be less about thinking about what, well, it's all about me and less about he, as that yeah. shift changes and we really start to understand that that everything that Jesus did, the reason that he was able to be in storms and not be afraid is because he knew his father was good. He knew that his father had a good outcome and he knew that his purpose, you know, he had a choice, but his purpose was for the masses, not for the me. That's yeah. the big thing. And, and that's the, the true thing about as we start to get shifted, we come out of thinking about ourselves and start thinking about others. And wow. that's where, you know, when, when Bob Jones went to heaven the first time, the Lord said to him, did you learn how to love? And he's like, huh? <laughs> and then back he comes. So that, and I've always thought about that. And your book really talks about the importance of loving and how to love and how to be loved. You see, the thing, what I do there is God is love. It says, mm -hmm. God is love. Lo God doesn't have love. God is love. Mm -hmm. And so if God is love, then Christ is love. So I took 1 Corinthians 13 and substitute love for Christ. Then when you talked about 2 Corinthians 3.18, going from glory to glory, mm -hmm. I changed that to Christ-like, going from Christ-likeness to Christ-likeness, from Christ-likeness to Christ-likeness. It's not a one-time process. It's a lifelong process. And from glory to glory, from Christ-likeness to Christ-likeness, from, from glory to glory, some people get stuck between their glories. But you're talking about <laughs> talking about people. You know, I go to some churches and they're just I just want Jesus to love on me. And I just want to love on Jesus. Just want to have a love feast with Jesus. Then I go to other churches and they say, We just want to party, want to have fun. And I tell them, Look, if God created Adam and Eve, just have somebody to love on, he'd have made them babies. So that's mm -hmm. all babies are good for to love on. You know, you have to take care of them. They can't eat for themselves, they can't drink, they can't walk, they can't talk, they're helpless. Human babies, I was raised on a farm, and a coat, young coat born gets up and starts nursing a calf, a chicken starts go, chick starts going, but a human being is the most helpless infant there is. And but if he wanted and if he wanted to have fun, he'd have created out of many teenagers. But he didn't. He created them grown, intelligent men and women that he could walk with, talk with, share his plans, share his purposes with grown people and that's what the that's the reason the bible talks so many times there's 30 scriptures on growing up and going and maturing and conforming to christ's image and there's two on going up mm. so two on going up 30 on growing up so mm. 10 to 1 ratio that we need to talk more about growing up and conforming to christ than just sitting around saying rapture me out take me to heaven take <laughs> me to heaven lord it is you don't want to come yet you're not ready for me mm. i got to get you ready more you know i tell people you know, my wife uh, uh, five years ago uh, got real sick, you know, and she, Jesus, she had kidney trouble and failure and everything and had 10,000 people praying for her around the world. And, but she felt it was her time to go. And Jesus appeared to her in the bedside and, and stuck out his hand toward her and smiled real big, lovingly, you know, and, and um, 
So I said, well, was he, he didn't say a word. I said, was he communicating to you you're going to be healed and raised up? Or was he telling you that he welcomed you home? She said, well, I don't know. But after that, she had no desire to stay on this earth. So I tell people, after 59 years of marriage, a man came by and just smiled at my wife and she took off with him. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm going to catch up with him one of these days. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, um, uh, Bishop, I just wanted to um, to talk because you started talking about Adam and Eve and in your book, you talk about that, like after they were created, God gave them a responsibility. He said, do this, do this, do this, you know, you know, go out and, and make more, make more man, <laughs> make more woman, yeah. you know? And he also, uh, he also talked about, um, he named all the animals like he gave them that responsibility. And that was something like very, very early on with my walk as I started to to read the Bible. And I started to ask the Lord. He said, Lisa, he goes, I let Adam and, uh, you know, name the animals. Adam didn't say, is this OK? He goes, I trusted him. He said right. to do it. And I think that's the other thing, because you do talk about how God is getting us perfected so that he can trust us with the more. Yeah. Yeah. The Lord told me, he said, uh, way back in my early days of pastoring, uh, I was fussing at the Lord because I was in a Bible college that inflamed us young people. I was 19 when I was in Bible college and he inflamed us. And we were the generation that was a change of world. We're bringing back the king. I mean, we're going to do everything. So I came out of that Bible college, like, look out world, here I come. And <laughs> God sent me to this little church in Topner's Washington, Yakima Valley, Washington State. And they'd gone through about four or five splits. When I got there, there's about 25 people singing, we shall not be, we shall not be moved. When I stayed there as pastor, I could not move them. I mean, but God put me in this place where those people had gone through everything that they could put up with this pipsqueak prophet that God sent there to perfect and start making a man before he released the ministry. And so, you know, it was horrible as it was for me. And I was telling God one day, God, I, I need to be, I can preach, I can prophesy, I can heal the sick. I should be out there having mass meetings and I should be doing what Or Roberts is doing and T.L. Osborne and all these great evangelists. And here I am stuck with these few people under 100, 150 people here and they don't have any vision. No, I'm just wasting my time, you know, and every Sunday, after every Sunday service on Monday morning, I'd be praying, oh God, have your will, have your will. In case you don't know what I'm saying, get me out of here. And finally one day God said, Bill Hammond, he said, I want you to know I, I, my greatest desire for you is because I called you to be my son. I called you to be my family. I called you to be with me throughout eternity. And I want you to know if you, if you never go beyond this place, if nobody ever knows your name beyond your family and a few people, but you learn to be conformed to my image, think like I think, have my attitude, my conviction, have everything that I have and do everything that I do. And, and, and you get to the place that I can trust you as much as my father trusts me. And then you, you do everything the way I would do it. And then you're conformed to my likeness. He said, I would count you the most successful, effective person on planet Earth. And he planted that seed way back there over 60 years ago. And was a seed there. Now it's an apple tree with a lot of apples on it. But it's just a seed then. But it took 30 years before I realized what that meant and get some idea. Another 30 years to produce the book, get it out. <laughs> well, you know, know, it's it's been... 
I think one of the things that I love about this book is it talks about sometimes the trials and the tribulations that people have to go through. Yeah. That is really perfecting them. I mean, you talk about betrayal, you yeah. talk about losing, you know, money and, 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 and sickness and all these other things that people have to in, endure sometimes. And like you were saying in the very beginning that it's that it's part of God's plan because there is, stuff because we are in a fallen world and it's because of the stuff sometimes yeah. that changes who we are and how we see things and as he's able to take us through those difficult things he starts to perfect us it's almost like with um with shadrach meshach and abednego they had to go into the fire but they went into that fire so that so that king nebuchadnezzar could see jesus they right. went in there so that Jesus could be seen. And that's what we have to understand is that sometimes through these difficulty and through these things, as we go through these different trials, that that we are going to see Jesus with us. Cause like when Jesus went to the wilderness, he went by himself. We don't have to go through these things by ourselves, And yeah. we have a confidence and assurance that he will go yeah. with us through these difficult things. Absolutely. You know, and, and, um, I, I give several illustrations, and you know that one I went through with my wife and I. That we went from the went from a Hawaii vacation after I finished my first book, The Eternal Church, and then we drove all night from Phoenix, Arizona, to Oklahoma City with nine members of my wife's family and and a couple that's going to uh, do the was going to Tom and Jane's wedding, my second son, and Tom and Jane Hammond's. Uh, well, she, Jane McCussey was going to be married to our son. And then we stopped in Oklahoma City. We had breakfast, and then I got—I had driven all night in the motorhome, so I got back in the van. And the then Apostle Leon Waters, my brother-in-law, and his wife and three daughters, my wife's sister Marilyn and her two daughters, and her mother was all in that 17-foot overcab motorhome. And they got in that, and and we started out on I-40 there in Oklahoma City. Wind was blowing about 40 miles an hour. But we got on there and they got ahead of us just a little bit. Then I got on there, there's about 10 cars ahead. And I looked up there and all of a sudden I saw uh, something had flipped over, was skidded 187 feet and burst into flames. And it was, I saw it was a motor home. Uh, the, my wife had nine relatives in that little motor home and it was burst into flames. And we started, everybody started throwing their brakes on, slowing up. I got out before the car stopped, ran up there. Leon was pushing, had pushed his daughter, his wife, and Marilyn out, and uh, had got his one of his younger daughters out. I got there. My mother-in-law was laying there in the wreckage. Her legs were caught in the wreckage. It skidded and ripped off all of her clothes except her panty and bra. And I got a hold of her to rip her out, call her, pull her out. And her legs were caught in the wreckage. And I thought, well, if I jerk her out, it's going to break her legs. But then the wind blew the flames down and. I saw it was either burn them off or break them off. And I ripped her out and laid her over to the side. Thank God it didn't break her legs. But laid her over to the side, went around, tried to find others. Leon was getting his oldest daughter out. She was stuck halfway in and half out. Wheels of the, you know, of the motorhome were sticking up in the air. And I saw the little seven-year-old laying there, half of her body out, all burned. And I started to get a hold of her, tried to pull her out, but there's only about an inch that was there. So I thought if I jerk her and coming out with a half a body, and I, as I thought about it, wind changed, knocked me back and stinged my hair. And uh, I had to watch is that, that watch it, this, the fire burned down, burned down. And then we got everybody in the, hos in the uh, hospital 
ambulances out and my wife now stood there as the flames went all the way down and ended then they came out with the wrecker pulled up that uh, motor home and when they did that little seven-year-old had been caught half her body between two installations and she was her blonde hair and face was preserved enough we could have an open casket at the funeral but from below she was just charred and um, so we had to take care of that that was a cold situation. Got everybody in the hospital. My wife was pulled. It, most of them had all their clothes and purses in the motorhome. They all burned up. And so we had to buy some clothes, uh, give them some money. Then we took the two oldest girls that was going to be in the wedding. We left the rest of them in the hospital. And there and her mother was teeter-tottering between life and death. And we drove another 400 miles to uh, uh, Little Rock, Arkansas. And I did the w wedding practice on Friday night. Saturday, we had the wedding. And then we, that was up high again. Then we had to go to the 400 miles down to uh, Orange, Texas, to a little town there where her father-in-law had a graveyard. And we um, had the funeral. I had, I had to do the funeral. And um, it was really sad and challenging. And then after we went to the funeral and to the graveyard, we finally said goodbye. And we drove another 350 miles to Pensacola, Florida, uh, where I preached five times prophesied to 250 people, was up high in ministry. And then from there, we drove 70 miles to Dupiniac Springs where my daughter and her husband pastored. And then we went out and we thought, my wife said on the way, I can't take one thing more. I feel like I've been skinned alive. Um, she's pulled to be with her mother, but she had two sisters that's with the mother. She pulled to be with her son getting married and then be with me on in ministry. And so we get there and I, we they had a couple of horses, so I, um, her husband and I went out and rode horses because I was raised on horses. Thought it relaxed. While we were there, we saw this dune buggy in the barn. We thought, let's go back and read the dune buggy. We went back and was riding the dune buggy around. You strapped around your head, strapped around your waist. Couldn't get hurt, they say. But somehow I tripped it. It was turned over, and I stuck my arm out and broke both both bones in my arm. And so we went in, and, and my uh, Glenn, my daughter's husband, called and told my wife, said, well, you're going to have to get ready. we got to take Bill to Fort Walton Beach to the hospital. And he broke his arm. She said, I told you not to tease me. I told you I couldn't take one thing more. Don't say that. He said, I wish it wasn't true, but it is. So we jumped in the car. He drove 90 miles an hour. We got down to Fort Walton. And they finally, after four hours from the time I broke my arm, they had me in there. And I was back there for an hour and a half. My wife was sitting out there by, with uh, Glenn and my daughter going to get something to eat. And uh, she told me him to go back and check on me and see what was going on because she hadn't heard a thing for an hour and a half. Well, and while she's sitting there all alone, the Lord appeared to her and he says, Evelyn, do you remember what, you, that was my wife's name, said, do you remember what you said on the way from Pensacola to Davidiac? said, yeah, Lord, I said a lot of things. Which one are you thinking about? And he said, Did you, didn't you say you couldn't take one thing more? She said, yes, and I mean it. I can't take one thing more. And he said, is your husband's broken arm one thing more? Yes, yes. Well, what are you going to do about it? Well, my wife was always a very logical, reasonable person, full of wisdom. But she thought about it and said, well, I could get drunk, but I wouldn't know what to drink or get because she got saved at three for the Holy Ghost seven, never was worldly inclined and never had any worldliness about her at all. So she thought, well, I, I, I could have a nervous breakdown, but to her, that, uh, that sounds crazy. So she thought a moment, she said, well, Lord, I guess there's nothing I can do except what Peter said, Lord, where can I go but to you? 
I guess I'll just have to keep on trusting you and believing in you and living for you because it's only the only life I know and the only way I know it could be. And then he said something to me. He says, Evelyn, I love you, but don't you ever threaten me that way again. And it shocked her because she thought he'd say, bless your little old heart. I know it's been terrible. So sorry you had to go through all this. And he said, don't you ever threaten me that way again. He said, I alone know how much you can take. And I told you in my word, I would never allow you to go through into anything or through anything that I didn't know. My grace would be sufficient and I'd be with you and you would make it through victoriously. And that they would all work out for your good in the long run. And, and you know, it did something for her. It, 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 you know, after that, she had no fear of the future. She would go through a financial struggle. It didn't bother her a bit. We, we, we don't care what happened. And then we went, I've checked myself out of the hospital after five days. We flew back to Oklahoma, had the 50th anniversary uh, of my mom and dad. And I asked the Lord, I was still in the why business then. I said, Lord, we prayed, we believed, we decreed, we have covered the blood, ask angels to watch over us. It all happened. Why, 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 why? And, and the Lord said, it was a, you, I took you through the steel rail test. I said, what do you mean? Well, I understood that. I worked on a railroad for a while, driving, putting rails down. He said, they take those rails, those steel rails, and they melt them down and form them. And then they get them the way they want them to be. And then they put them in the coldest thing they could ever be. And it's so cold, that coldest it could ever be on planet Earth that they'd ever go through. And they twist it and turn it, put all kind of pressure on it. And then they bring it back to temperature. And if it hasn't cracked or warped or bent, which keeps its integrity and keeps it straight, then, then they'll get ready to go on the track. But it's not through yet. Then they put it in the hottest. They don't know where that track's going to go in the desert and get 750 degrees or 1,000 degrees as your track goes over it, as the train goes over it. And then they do the same thing, twist, turn, and if it comes back with no cracks, no warps, straight and integrity, they put it on the track. And the God said, this was in 1981, and he said, I was testing you and checking you out and preparing you because I've got a revelation I'm bringing to you in a little time. And then two years later, he brought me the revelation of the company of prophets that's made all that's happened this worldwide today. And he said, I was checking out. He said, thousands of lives are going to be like in that tra freight train are going to be over your life. And he said, those tracks are going to be have to stand for year after year after year of train after train after train driving over them and they got to maintain their integrity. He said, I just want to know you can take it to the end because I've got many, many things for you to accomplish and be millions of people be affected and thousands of things happen. And he says, but you passed the test and I'm going to bring you forth to victorious. But it was mm -hmm. hot, cold, hot, cold, hot, cold, hot, cold. Three weeks was the most trying my wife and I had ever gone through together. Then my, my loss of that property was even later worse than that for me. But it, it was the making of the man, making of the person. So we have to decide which is the most important to us. Comfort, everything going smooth, everything going right, just a bless, 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 prosperity, prosperity, everybody love you, love you, love you. Or is our greatest passion to be like Christ and whatever it takes, whatever it takes, Lord, whatever it takes, I want to be like you. And, and be like Job, though God slay me, yet I'll trust him. And when, he, when he's tried me, I'll come forth of the gold nature of Christ Jesus. Mm. Amen. 
That's so good. So I, I, you know, I think one of the things that you you touched on was that this book gets you to stop asking the whys. Yes. <laughs> you know, yeah. because we can, we can get ourselves so wrapped up in, well, why did this happen? And why did that happen? Why does that happen? And so one of the things that the Lord's been really dealing with me, Bishop, is that he's been saying, do you trust me? Because right. we can trust God in certain situations. We can trust him for like, say, say we can trust him for taking care of our bills or taking care of our, our finances. Now, we can wow. trust God maybe with our ministry, but maybe we don't trust him with our physical health. Maybe we don't. And so those are the places where he's going to say, look, this is where you can trust me. And there are some times that we have to be able to see God as our defender, to see God as, as being faithful. And we, unless we go through some of these situations, we don't see him as our strong tower. Right. We don't see him as Jehovah Rapha. We don't see him as Jehovah Jireh or Je Jehovah Sikhanu or Jehovah Nisi, my banner, the Lord is my banner. We don't get to see him if we go tra-la-la-la-la through life. And we don't yeah. have to deal with these different types of things that, that people have to deal with. But when as you who are in Christ go through these things and people on the outside who don't know Christ and yeah. they can see how you can stand, how you can endure, how you can smile, that's the testimony. That's where you really get to show the goodness of God in the trials. Amen. You know, uh, most people don't realize the highest calling. What's God's priority? You know, like I tell people, man could not be made in heaven. He could not mm -hmm. be made out of heavenly material. He had to be made outside the throne on another planet because God knew that for him to understand Two, two things. One, God planned on coming down and becoming a man. The Bible says Jesus was slain as the Lamb of God before the foundation of the world. Come on. So I tried in my book on who am I, why am I here, I give mm -hmm. the eight reasons why God created the human race. And when he created the human race, uh, I have number seven is worship, number eight is fellowship, but there's six before that more relevant and personal to God. Why? He created the human race race why he created man and he and why he put the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden of eden because god made man a free moral agent that means man could say no to his creator and man could say yes to his creator and he could say no to the devil i try to tell people man was made greater than the devil because adam uh, lucifer was a fallen angel man was made in god's own image and likeness and i'll ask people i said how many even said no to the devil before you got saved he was an adult and a lot of them look at me like, like they won't raise your hand. I said, you mean you did everything the devil suggested? I said, didn't you get almost mad enough to want to kill? Didn't you have a lustful thought wanting to do it? Didn't you have an envious thought wanting to? I said, but you resisted. You didn't do everything evil suggested to you. So you could say no to the devil before you got saved. And after you get saved, you can overcome the devil and destroy the devil, the works of the devil. And you're the conqueror and more than conqueror. And I said, and then... God knew he had to teach us his nature and character. Well, I, I talked about forgiveness. I, I, one of those chapters is the unforgivable sin of unforgiveness. And I said, you had to learn forgiveness. And surely you, you wouldn't want to have to learn forgiveness in heaven. And I, I was preaching one time to a group and I said, just think, God had to teach us down here to forgive. Won't be anybody in heaven you have to forgive. One lady said, I don't know. My husband's going to heaven. <laughs> I said, well, 
<laughs> I said, I hope you got victory over him before you get there. <laughs> <laughs> but see, I, people just don't understand the overall purpose of God. They just think God saved me to fulfill me and make me happy. And if it's not making me happy, God's not with me. And but you know what? Again, just what you're saying, it's about me. Yeah. It's not about he. It, because it, we're supposed to be here what you know when it when it says in the in genesis it says we're sub, supposed to subdue the earth that's what adam yeah. and eve are supposed to do well the church unfortunately isn't subduing much of anything yeah. but we're getting i think we're starting to rise up and that's what yeah. i'm starting to see and that's why i think that the the timing of this book because as all the prophetic voices are saying the fear of the lord is coming back and the fear of the lord is the beginning of wisdom yeah and I think that this book is starting to prepare ourselves and our hearts for understanding that we can, you know, I, I call God daddy, but still I have a reverence for him. I have a fear that when, like when he spoke to your wife like that, you know, sometimes, you know, when I was first learning about the prophetic, he said to me, Lisa, are you, <laughs> are, are you a fortune teller? And I said, no, Lord. He goes, then stop acting like one. Because, yeah. you know, we're we're not supposed to be doing things that we do not see and hear the Father do. We are not yeah. supposed to be going off and doing our own stuff, even though the, the gifts and the calling are without, you know, they don't take he doesn't take them back. But yeah. there is a purpose and a plan for everything that he's put inside of us. And it's to love people, it's to encourage people, yeah. and, and it's helped to subdue the earth it's to yeah. get the the earth back into the way that it was supposed to be and it's about taking our authority over the natural disaster it's taking our authority over the sickness it's it's to take our authority back yeah amen one other thing we might share before sure. we go absolutely uh, i got one chapter called when loss is gain mm. and i use the illustration when we moved from i moved 10 families from phoenix from san antonio texas to Phoenix, Arizona in 1977. And we were there for seven years before we moved to Florida where we are now for the last 34 years. But I bought a, a, a house and with an acre on it, we bought an office in the back there for the, for the college and the ministry. But then we didn't check out the zoning and we had a lot of traffic going back and forth, there's gravel road out there. And uh, neighbors started complaining. So zoning said we couldn't have an officer because it wasn't zoned for it. So we had to look around and God, a man sent me, uh, one of my spiritual sons sent me a check for $50,000. And we bought this piece of property and it had a house on it that it had been a little fire, but needed some fixing up several buildings on it. Just ideal what we needed to operate the college and, and do everything we needed to do. And so we got that 50000 and uh, they gave it to us for, it was about a $250,000 property. And they sold it to us around, well, we paid $30,000 down and three $40,000 payments. And uh, I thought I was in the faith message in strong. And I thought, bless God, if God supplied 50000 he can supply $40,000 uh, for payment and pay it off with no interest. And it was a good deal. And so all that year I traveled and I, I preached, prayed, prophesied, and mentioned the needed them a bill of the payment and it took every penny I could bring in and all the tuition we could get uh, to meet the payroll and do that. And uh, the year went by and only $5,000 came in. One church in Atlanta, Georgia gave us an offering for 5,000. And 
so the people said, well, the payment's due. I said, I don't have the money. So they gave me a 90-day extension. I worked like crazy, prayed, talked, did everything good, and still no money came in. They gave me 30 more days, and I tried to work every deal I could with somebody. And I discovered when the Bible says God opens doors that no man can shut, he also shuts doors that no man can open. And he'd shut that door, and I ran my head against it, banged it, did everything, and it would not open. And so finally, I had to sign all that property back to him. All that money the brother had given me, 50000 was lost down the drain. All the work we'd done on it to fix it up down the drain. And it, it just devastated me. I mean, uh, you know, it, it just hit me against my manhood, my ministry, my faith, uh, my ability. Uh, it, it just, it just, it was just a, the roughest thing personally that intimidated me in this. And, and, the thing, and God wouldn't talk to me about it for six months. I would go to the Friday night school, the Holy Spirit preach, prophesy over 50, 60, 100 people. They'd get blessed, and the Lord would speak to them and give them answers. They'd cry and weep and thank God, be healed. And I'd go back home and cry in my, crawl in my Elijah pit of discouragement. And this went on for six months, and God would not talk to me. He'd talk through me, but would not talk to me about this situation. So finally one night, my wife and I, we're coming back from Tucson to Phoenix. We stopped at the San Marcos and got a hotel. And, and I went out walking. I told my wife, I'm just going to go out walking for a while under the starlit sky. And I went and started walking. And God started talking to me. He says, Bill Hammond, you're really upset about that property, aren't you? I said, yes, God. I lost all of that 50000 My spiritual son sent me money that he got from his house. And, and then all the work we did and all of that. And, and I've lost it all. And... Uh, and, and, and according to the faith message, I'm not supposed to lose. You always win. and You're always the victor. And on and on and on. And I'm a failure, blah, blah, blah. And, and the Lord spoke to me and says, you know, you didn't lose anything. I said, what do you mean, God? It's all gone. I'm telling you, it's gone. He said, no, you didn't lose anything. I thought, God, have you been on vacation for the last six months? I'm telling you, I lost it all. It's gone. I had to sign it back. It's gone. He said, no, you didn't lose anything. I said, okay, God, you're talking double talk to me. What are you saying? What do you mean? He said, you didn't lose anything. That was the tuition I was willing to pay for your wisdom and maturity. Now, this was in 1979. He said, in a few years, I'm going to give you a revelation and a ministry that's going to affect the whole church world and it's going to be used to raise up a company of prophets and bring forth my end time purposes. And he said, and I wanted to check you out to see if you could handle it and to see if you was ready for it, and then and then you, and to get you the wisdom and maturity you need to handle it, and then to make it real to me, he said, if it had been a, if it had been an Or Roberts universe with millions and billions of dollars of property and on and on and on, he said, I'd have sacrificed it for what I want you to accomplish for me and fulfill for me. So I said, okay, God, you mean that was your tuition you paid, and what my stupidity or my fault or my lack of faith or this or that or the other? He said, yeah. I said, okay. Then if that's it, I forgive myself. I release myself. I, I take all condemnation from myself. And I'm, okay, it's, it's your tuition. So I set myself free. And we're just like I bound myself. <laughs> and I said, okay, God, uh, it's your wisdom, your timing. You know, we went over several prophecies. I had in shoeboxes and others that uh, for years. My wife and I went over and I typed up pages and pages of prophecies looking for something to answer about the situation. And it was a place that God said, I'm going to give you the property. Well, he gave it to us for a good price. But, you know, it was years later that I was reading that again. I didn't, 
I never noticed that one thing. I give, I'm giving you that, and when I take it back, I never seen that. And when I take it back, but he gave it and he took it back, <laughs> and he let it go because my loss was gain in wisdom and maturity. And he said this. He said, Bill Hammond, I can give you houses, lands, people's money overnight, but I cannot give you wisdom and maturity overnight. I don't have a big dropper, group my love, and group maturity. It's a process. And that's where the process of conformity and the law of transformation begins to bring. Wisdom cannot be just imparted except the wisdom of God to a certain extent, but it, it's a learning process of experience you go through. And so I've learned that all things, loss can be gained, pain can be gained, uh, failures can be, we don't have any problems. We have predestinated purposes to perfect us. Mm, that is so good. I think that is one of my favorite revelations because as we start to understand how much he loves us, that he's willing to give yeah. us a tuition. <laughs> you know, he paid your tuition yeah. for this, for you, because I think that's the other thing too, as we become conformed and he knows that he can trust us in these things, that he can give us these things. And it's not because he doesn't want to give it to us, but he doesn't want to give us something that's going to destroy us. He right. wants to perfect you in order to be able to carry it it's just like if you're a bodybuilder you you don't just you know walk out on stage you have to be conditioned you have to go through a process right. and that's one of the things that you talk about so much is going through the process and right. not not despising the process but embracing it and loving the process as you're walking in it because it's really for our good before you read the book did you have a couple of things you wondered so yet why lord did we have to go through that why absolutely did that absolutely yeah. can you look back now and see the why oh absolutely and that's that is the beauty of this book because you start to go oh oh you know because there is your highest calling that means that he's calling you to something higher not right. only does he want you to be transformed not only does he want you to be in the image of his son but he has something higher for you to do he has something bigger he wants to bring you up so that you can hold on to these things so that yes. you can move into the purpose and destinies that he's planned for you it's so good it's once so you, rich once you understand that then you can say what the apostle paul did in romans 8 18 where he said the sufferings trials mm -hmm. tests of this present world is not worthy to be compared with the glory of Christ's likeness that shall be revealed in us. For the whole creation is waiting for us to manifest mm -hmm. Christ's likeness. Come on, sons and daughters, right? Sons and daughters, wow. waiting wow. for the sons and daughters. Um, before you go, I, I know that you have been seeing some things that are coming into 2020 and beyond. So would you mind just sharing some of the things that God is doing or prophetically speaking into, uh, into our viewers? Yes. You know, I wrote the book on the third and final church reformation, which started in 2008. And the second reformation was for the restoration of the church from 1500 to 20, uh, 2019, you know, and then we had the third reformation began. And the third reformation is to finalize all things. Mm -hmm. And as Jesus is held in the heavens until the restoration of all things, which God's spoken. And then Hebrews 10 uh, verse 13 says, Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God. He made the one perfect sacrifice, sat down at the right hand of God, waiting, waiting, waiting. And I ask people, who is Jesus waiting on to make all enemies his footstool? 
not the angels. They could have done it any time. Not he himself. He's already done it. So who's he waiting on to make all enemies his footstool? The church, his body. <laughs> and so uh, we, and, and, and there's going to be a glory and a power released on the church like we've never seen before. Every prophet apostle I've seen around the world and talked to around the world, we're all sensitive. We're right on the edge of the greatest explosion of God's glory and power. In fact, I felt in 2018, God said, the time has begun now for the glory of the Lord to fill the earth as the waters cover the sea. And just like fog coming in, it's going to get thicker and thicker and thicker and, and more miracles, signs and wonders. And then Matthew 25, 31 says, every nation has to be a goat or sheep nation by the time Jesus comes by where he can separate them. And so we're going to see whole nations turn to God. Whole nations become rebellious, wicked and evil. And, and, and the church is being separated between the Laodicean, lukewarm, cold, indifferent, worldly church and the own fire present truth move of god a church and so it's getting further and further apart and god is moving in and everybody's got a choice to be in the antichrist or the body of christ and so god is just preparing his people for it and he's raising up a people that's going to demonstrate the glory and demonstrate the kingdom because as jesus said the kingdom of God must be demonstrated in every nation where with it then the end will come all the wars and rumor roars are not signs how close we are to come to the Lord is when the kingdom is demonstrated and God's going to raise up some people and I'm challenging myself and all my ministers believe for the miraculous, believe for the supernatural. One of my spiritual sons, Guillermo Maldonado, is a Spanish brother and he's got miracles like Benny Hinn. And I've been with him in meetings where hundreds are healed at one time, but I said, that's got to be everybody. It's not just for one. You know, uh, William Branham way back said a hundred years from there, there would be a whole company uh, do the same media and we're that time now and we're going to see it and then and things are going to start shaking it's going to the gross darkness is going to cover the people but the glory of the lord's risen up on us and we're and the, and the church is getting brighter and brighter and the world is getting darker and darker and contrast is going to be more and more and more we see it in governments right now in politics and everything else it's going to get worse but it's going to get better so we have the greatest to look forward to and not fear because if God be for us, that can be against us. They can beat our bones and persecute us and kill us, but all they do is make us more like Jesus and send us home to glory. So we have no fear of the future. And you know, the Bible says he's delivered us from the fear of death. So people say, what, what are we going to do? About two years ago, there was a prophet said that that flood, that uh, the, uh, after the Japanese flood, uh, tsunami and all came to that, that California would have, you know, they've been prophesying for 60 years that half of California is going to slide in the ocean eventually. And they said, California's, I was 2011, they said, this one prophet said, uh, before I've told you to stay in California unless God tells you to leave. Now I'm telling you to leave unless God tells you to stay. So they called me, said, what do you think about it, prophet? What do you think? Should we leave California? What should we do? And I told him, I said, well, I said, you don't leave unless God tells you to sovereignly not because somebody told you that. And I said, it's got to be, they said, well, but what, what if, what if? I said, well, look at it, what if this? What if the earthquake happens right where you're at and you're killed instantly? You go straight to heaven. Then I say you're out the outer edge of it and it breaks for two legs, you get burnt pretty bad, but you survive and you live another six months and you die and go to heaven. I said, or you supernaturally preserve and you feed the 5,000 and you do the works of God for 25 more years and then you die and go to heaven. Anyway, you look at it, you go into heaven. So whether you get there that way, that way, or that way, 
no fear. We, we got a home, we got a future, and we know that they can't, we have everlasting life right now in our spirit. Our body may perish, but we live on forever and ever and ever. So I said, you got to get rid of all fear of the future. Don't worry about what you got to do. He'll never let you go through more than what you can take. Just remember, the early martyrs, thousands were nailed to uh, uh, posts and burned alive and, and crucified and, and beaten and thrown in arenas and ate and fought beasts. And, and, and they all counted the privilege to suffer for Jesus' sake. Mm. Americans don't have that attitude. I'm, this book tries to give you a little bit of proper attitude about suffering, about death, about life, about persecution and problems. Hey, it, it's, it's, you know, it's that one, and the, the one I, the scripture that I didn't understand for 60 years is 2 Corinthians 12, 10. Remember Paul says, I take pleasure in, and I ask people in the audience, how many finish that sentence? I take pleasure in. Well, some say sports, worship, going to church, serving God, uh, spending money, <laughs> whatever. But I said, I don't know of anybody, myself included, that has ever listed what Paul said. I take and I did. I've read that scripture 60 years. Couldn't understand it until I wrote the book. Paul says, "I take pleasure in infirmities, in necessities, persecution, problems, you know, and and troubles and all of that." And I thought, boy, he needs a psychiatrist real bad, or else he's got a revelation we don't understand. And it wasn't until I really wrote the book that I saw what he was saying. Is Paul was saying, "My greatest passion is to be like Jesus." Like Philippians says, all oh, that I might know him and conform to his death, made this likeness and image. So that was his greatest passion. So he says, hey, the reason I can take pleasure in all this is they're for my friends and employees. And they're all working to make me to fulfill my passion. They're help, helping me fulfill to be like Jesus. So why couldn't he have to rejoice and take pleasure in infirmities, persecution, distresses, and all that stuff? because it's all forcing him to be more like Christ and fulfill his greatest passion. So if you see your greatest passion is to be like Christ, then you can take pleasure in it. But if your greatest pleasure and purpose is to be happy and no problems, live a comfortable life, then forget it. You're going to be miserable. <laughs> yeah. Come on. Say that again. Seriously. <laughs> yeah. This has been such an incredible, incredible and insightful interview. And I thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to come in to share about your book and about some insight and to share your stories. This says, I, I can see the different comments from different people. And it, it has really given, it's given you such a different perspective, especially some of the just little nuggets that you yeah. kind of take and you can kind of put in your pocket and say, okay, they're working. They're, yeah. they're just an employee. I'm going to pay them. Yeah. I mean, that's just such a game changer in itself because you don't get upset. You're like, oh, they're just working yeah. for me. <laughs> yeah, that, that gives you a little insight. There's a lot more illustrations, truths. Absolutely. I, give Absolutely. A I finally give about 15 things. If you became Christ-like, what would you be like? So I give oh. you all these characteristics that uh, you could be like. And that, and then, then I talk about husband and wife, the ideal situation for God to do work this work of process and all that. So you learn to count your, you know, my wife had the most compatible for 59 years, but we were much as different to be each other's friend than employee once in a while. Mm. You know, I was from Oklahoma in the South and she was from the North. I was a Confederate and she was a Yankee. We had to finish the war, war after we got married and that was Yankees won again. <laughs> my wife did. <laughs>
Well, but, and yeah. that and that's the whole thing is that you know when we can start to understand that as we start to get changed into the image and the and and right. conforming into the image of Christ, that that people we can love them with a different love. We can see yeah. them with different eyes. We can we can hear them with a different ear. Everything about us changes. So everything that we perceive now becomes different and we're starting to see it through his filters which is it's so beautiful there's so many beautiful things yeah. just it's to just like, it yeah. is like the command or jesus gave bless those who curse you do good mm -hmm. those spy for you pray for your enemies that sounds negative i way back in my early days i said god that's not fair i got to go through all of this just for your gospels not black and the for your name is no, no. i wasn't thinking about your enemies i wasn't thinking about me i was thinking about you because if you don't understand all of these are working for you and they're good for you and they're making you for your eternal. You got to think about eternal, the eternal. Though the outward man, temporal man, is spirited, your inward man, and you're going to hear on his earth 70, 80, 90, 100 years, but you're going to be with me for million, billion, trillion, quadrillion, eternity. And, mm -hmm. and I've got plans and purposes that would excite you so much if you knew all that you're going to help me do and be it, fulfill that you'd be worth, willing to go through anything. So that's people ask me, how have you and your wife made it pioneering all these years, the prophetic and the apostolic, uh, and people coming against you, not believing their prophets today and, and accusing you and all blessing. I said, I keep the eternal. I keep the eternal. Come view. on. You've got to keep, if you get stuck in the nasty now and now, you're going to get discouraged. But if you look at the, it's all working together. It's all working together. It's all making the man and the plan. So you can't hurt me. So they draw a circle to include me. I draw a bigger circle to include him. <laughs> 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 I like that. <laughs> I think that's so good. So if people want to get in touch with you, of course, they can go to Christian International and you are speaking. You have a bunch of conferences coming up so people can go to your website. They can also pick up your book, Your Highest Calling. If you guys want to get a game changing book, I am telling you, this is a game changing book just the insight just the stories just the revelation it is a game changer and especially if you're in leadership this is a must read book right. it's a must read because as we start going into 2020 yeah. and you heard bishop talk about how it's going to be difficult but if you know who you are if you've been transformed into who he is you're going to be able to go through things without having fear and trepidation, but be knowing that he is for you and who could be against you. Is that the right way to say it? <laughs> That's a good way, man. Good to be with you and uh, trust your all your listeners are going to be blessed and refreshed. And thank you for the vision you have to reach out to people and bless them. And glad to be able to be a part with you. Oh, I'm so blessed and so honored. Thank you so much. Thank you guys for tuning in. Thank you for, for putting up with some of the delays and some of the technical issues. But I told you it was going to be a heck of a show. So thank you guys. Make sure you go out and get his book, Your Highest Calling, Bishop Bill Hammond. You can also get his other 14 books and especially um, any of the books on the prophetic. They are just phenomenal books. There's also um, one that he was talking about. It's uh, God's... Um, uh, it's I just went blank. Uh, God's army. No, that's what you no, wanted to call God's it. Weapons, yes. God's weapons of war. God's Talking weapons about of war. Corporate, doing corporate warfare, we got to learn how to do because we're in the army of the Lord movement. Yeah. That's it. That's it. So thank you guys. And thank you so much, um, Bishop Hammond. Again, such an honor, such a privilege to have you one touch by prayer. This has truly blessed me. Bless you and prosper you in all your ways. Amen. Oh, thank you. Thank you, guys. Have a fantastic night. Don't forget to go out and touch someone. God bless.
Bless you now. <laughs> Amen. <laughs>